0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp,
1: and on the other line, Ben Goliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. First things first, we didn't have an episode on Tuesday. Guys, we appreciate all the questions about that. Sometimes, life just happens. Life happened. We're back here. Uh, we're going to be in your feed. Hopefully, this will drop on Friday. Back to normal. Second thing second, Andrew, I say this <laughs> with as much... Uh, you know, friendliness as I can muster. I know it's the holiday season. Uh I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've had a couple of days to reflect on it because, you know, we didn't talk earlier this week. Your basketball life is in absolute shambles right now. And again, (laughs) I'm not trying to throw dirt on you, but I think we need to run through a few of these things. First of all, John Wall is injured, and I know you can get real excited about Bradley Beal's 50 points. You could post all your little panda graphics on social media. Uh-huh. Your finals dreams at this point for the Wizards... Not looking good. And I think you know it because you even said a couple weeks ago, we're not even going to try to talk about this team until Christmas. So that's number one.
0: Hold on. Where is this coming from? I was so excited to talk to you. It's been a week. We had schedules get mixed up earlier this week. I was really excited to just chill and catch up. And you're coming out of here pulling Uh, no
1: punches. I was
0: not prepared for any
1: of this. Hey, stop stalling. Stop stalling because there's a lot more to come. So first of all, your Wizards are on the ropes. Second of all, your boy 30, Steph Curry, is injured. So this team that you were trying to talk yourself into, the Golden State Warriors, is now being led by your favorite so-called quote-unquote role player, Kevin Durant, who's coming out, putting up 30-point triple-doubles, he looked great. rubbing, he looked great. No rubbing it in your face. And now you have to kind of walk some of those things back. That's a little bit tricky. We really get into some you know sticky business when it comes to Westbrook. Now, you wrote an excellent column last week. <laughs> Uh, discussing your MVP vote with Westbrook. I thought it was a fantastic call, but it really begged a question. Why did you feel the need to publicly defend your vote, Andrew? It's December. No one else is even thinking about last year. That was last year. That's old stuff. That that is not
0: true. There have been so many different people coming out of the woodwork pretending that this season proves that Westbrook didn't deserve the MVP last year. That's why I had to do it. But I'll I'll let you continue with your little spiel here.
1: No, that's a great cover story, but I don't think <laughs> that part explains why you're sending me these uh, s- super happy text messages. Oh my God, did you see Oklahoma City? Uh, they beat San Antonio. Oh, Westbrook took down <laughs> Joffrey. He's back. Westbrook to took clear, down the Spurs third stringers. This is that, amazing. On
0: that one, I'm purely screwing with you and trolling you. But again, do do your thing here.
1: Okay, all I'm trying to say is you're backed into a corner. I mean, your guy, Devin Booker, you know, your favorite guy. That's true. He's out now. Unfortunately, he's injured. I've noticed you kind of flirting with the Sixers and the Celtics here. I mean, lots of credit to the Celtics front office. Lots of nice <laughs> things to say about <laughs> Philadelphia. It's a very desperate time for you. Uh, you tried to talk yourself back into the Timberwolves. That really didn't work. And Kawhi is still not back in San Antonio, uh, so you can't cheer for them. And just to add insult to all of these uh, situations on top of it, you haven't even told us about Team Sharp, your fantasy team, in three weeks. So that makes me suspect that you're not actually winning the league. Am I right about that?
0: No, I'm actually in first place. But will, we'll save it. I have a Team Sharp update for you near the end yes. of the show.
1: <laughs> but okay, great. Well, look, I have a point to all this. I'm not just trying to you know, ruin your day here. Uh huh. It's clearly desperate times. Desperate times demand... Desperate measures. And I think it's time for you to completely rethink your position on the Houston Rockets. Now, here's why I say you've got nothing else going on, as I just laid out. And I can already hear you going to your favorite old refrain this team's going to choke in the playoffs. Why do I care about a team that's going to choke in the playoffs? First of all, you follow the Wizards. So I don't understand why that would ever enter <laughs> into your equation w- w- when you're looking at Coming some of these the other top teams. Come on, rope. Come on. Hey, I-, I warned you straight up front, everybody everybody needs to have this conversation, though, because we've gotten some emails, including one from Kane, some Rockets fans who want their respect. Now, right. here's what I'm saying. You have changed here over the last couple of months. A lot of different things are going on in your life in terms of basketball. I'm also here to tell you, <laughs> the Rockets have changed too, Andrew. This is the time to give them a shot. And I want to run down a few reasons why you should, and I hope will you listen with an open mind? Like you gave me a homework assignment last week. You said you have to go watch, you know, park and Rex or parks and rec, whatever that show was. And, and yeah. I saw these two. I mean, look, I watched two penguins, male penguins get married, you know, hilarious. Great. But I you know, spent 30 minutes of my life doing that. <laughs> this is, this is your homework. Okay. All right, fine. You need to give the rockets a chance. And I'm going to tell you why. Can I do that? Uh, yes,
0: I'll, let me read one email and then I'll let you continue with your, your case for the Rockets here. The, the email we got was from Kane Ortiz, who said, look, I love your show. I listen to it twice a week, but I also love the Rockets and I wish that you could appreciate my favorite team or at least show us a little respect. So I'll, I'll give you the floor here to make your case for Houston.
1: Kane, you're going to be emailing back next week to say, Ben, you nailed it. Thank you so much. Now, here's why. <laughs> Andrew first of all you like Chris Paul right I mean Uh, you've you've always kind of liked Chris Paul he's your guy I've always I've
0: always had a soft spot for him I think he takes an an unfair amount of criticism
1: perfect that's where we're going to start because what if I told you Chris Paul is now in less is more territory where you're getting all the best parts about Chris Paul but he's not so empowered that his worst traits whether it's uh, the stubbornness and and you know some of the you know, ball-dominant, yeah. you know, ball-stopping, over-dribbling. Ball. We're, we're not getting that right. We're getting all the good things, none of the bad things. You also love bucket-getters. Am I right? I mean, you're all about bucket-getters. Is there a more pure bucket-getter in the entire NBA than James Harden? And let's just have a conversation. Who's the most pure bucket-getter? Is he number one? If he's not number one, he's like two... Third at the absolute worst, right? Okay, so this is
0: tough because Harden's game would be phenomenal if not for all the bullshit foul drawing and uh, which is a real skill and an incredibly valuable skill, but aesthetically it like it it really sort of hurts his game. For me, Anyways, okay, now, maybe not for you. But he no, is, I, I he is absolutely a pure bucket getter, but is also like strangely frustrating to watch considering how talented he is.
1: Now, I knew you were going to say that. So what if I told you that, (laughs) again, the Rockets have changed, right? It's not as bad as it used to be. The rule changes have made a difference with regard to James Harden. The most egregious foul-drawing nonsense that he did in past years, even as recently as last year, it's Mm -hmm. been pretty much cleaned up. What you're seeing more and more from Harden is kind of Kyrie-like, one on one moves in space where they keep that court so spread out. He is just embarrassing guys one on one. He can do it all the way to the rim. He can get to pull up mid range shots. Obviously, he can shoot the threes off the dribble. So you're getting this amazing handle, that handle that you love from Devin Booker, plus this all around awesome offensive game. On top of that, you're getting vision. That very few other bucket getters have. Harden is not this one-dimensional scorer. And one thing I've noticed about you—you have matured here a little bit. You're understanding the (laughs) value of a system. I can't believe
0: you're doing this to me. I cannot believe you're putting me through ten minutes of rocket hype at the start of this show. I was—I was in such a good mood and so excited to talk. But sure, continue with your your flowery Harden praise here.
1: Just wait till the end because you're going to be singing along with me, okay? One thing that you've noticed about the the thunder, right, is the uh-huh. lack of system. How it bogs down the ugly shots, the shot yeah, selection issues. Yeah, it's awful issues. to watch the inconsistency what if I told you that Houston had just solved all of those things that they have a system that they've got a playmaker who's unselfish they've got a secondary playmaker who's unselfish and it's not just a three-point gimmick you're getting unbelievable one-on-one play that leads to dunks inside it leads to open three-point shots obviously they take a lot of threes but it's not just the end result it's how they create them wouldn't that maybe be more entertaining to watch than you might suspect especially when you compare it to some of these other really inconsistent teams that aren't playing quite uh, as entertainingly. Couldn't you maybe give them an opportunity?
0: Sure. I, I, we've been over this though. I like to me it's like a sugar high. Like eventually I just sort of check out. Like there it's it's too sweet for me. The Rockets offense like they are so good at creating wide open threes. It's like they've hacked basketball, and it stops being entertaining at a certain
1: point. I was worried you were going to say that, so I <laughs> saved this point for for this exact moment. Okay, you know how you love Nerlens Noel. You're the only person who believes in Nurland's uh, Noel, yes. and I'm sure you thought the hot dog thing was just amazing this past week. You were probably just replaying that over and over in your mind. What if I told you that the idealized version of Nerlens Noel that you have in your head actually exists, and his name is Clint Capella, and he's even better than you dreamed Nerlens Noel was in terms of a two-way impact guy, and you can just actually watch him play for a really good team, really important minutes both ways, rather than dreaming about Noel ever getting off of a bad team's bench? What if I told you that? There
0: is no question that everything I said Nerlens Noel was going to be and everything that I have pretended he's been for the past few years is what Clint Capella actually is. And I, I don't think anybody, I don't think even Rockets fans were prepared for how much better he was going to be this year than he has been the last few years. And now, I think he's a really interesting globe. piece for their future.
1: You guys can hear him turning the corner. I no. can hear it too. Okay. Now here's one, a couple more points. I think I have two more. Okay. make You it really have, you've come along to Curry's gravity, right? Like when sure. he's on the court, The whole defense goes his direction. Harden has the same gravity. Now, not quite the exact same way. He's not the same shooter as Steph, but defenses have to pay him so much attention that that same effect that you're going to be missing when Steph is out, you can kind of replace with the next best version of that with Harden. It's crazy to see how defenses try to handle him. There is really no solution for him. You just kind of hope he has one of those turnover-prone nights, and then you hope you can ugly the game up in the playoffs. I mean, that's really the only way to stop him. You look at his numbers through the first quarter of the season, completely unbelievable out of this world, crazy consistent, and he's doing it with and without Chris. Yeah. Uh, the last things I would say here real quickly, you love to get after the coaches for making dumb mistakes. D'Antoni has got this staggered down perfectly. So Harden's always in or Paul's always in. It's really, really working. You can get behind a good idea, well executed. I know you can, uh, even if there's personalities involved <laughs> that you don't love. And my final thing, and this is my my number one trump card here, Okay. You remember the Warriors the first year when Steph and Clay really broke out? Kerr's first year. There's all this excitement. They're playing so hard. They're like a revelation. We've never really seen anything quite like this before. The Rockets are playing with that level of intensity both sides of the basketball. They have a lot of new pieces. Certainly, Chris Paul being in this mix, I think, helps. They also have a bunch of new defensive-minded pieces. They're not a gimmick. They're a two-way basketball team that plays very solid defense and they have a great spirit about them. These guys go hard. They're trying to wipe teams off the court. They're not having these boring nights where, you know, like the the third or fourth year Warriors, where they just know who they are. They know they're better than everyone. The Rockets are still trying to prove something to themselves. And that's why I just love watching this team play. And Andrew, I am confident <laughs> after you give them the next two weeks of your life, you're going to come back to me and change, man. You're going to say, You might not admit you were wrong about last year's MVP, and that's fine. I'm going to let that ship sail. But you're going to say, I'm so glad you told me to watch Houston. This team's awesome. Are you feeling better after that little rant? I'm feeling great. How are you feeling? Good. I hope that
0: that makes all the Rocket fans happy out there. You know, equal time for both the Rockets and Ben's runner-up MVP. I'm glad that we we did that. I'm glad we got that out of the way. (laughs) I still have... I have a couple questions about the Rockets for you. Number one, is D'Antoni playing James Harden too many minutes?
1: I don't think so because I look at them, these aren't hard minutes. I mean, these guys are really making the game look easy. D'Antoni is one of those old school guys who will try to stick to that eight, you know, sometimes nine man rotation and just, he feels like, I think in his head, he, it's the best way to get the chemistry going on the court, and it's also the best way to ego manage. So it hasn't bothered me yet. Now, look, are they guilty of stat chasing late in blowouts? Absolutely. It's a little Has, weird, that, become, right? has that become an epidemic that drives me crazy, and it drives you crazy now that you're 30 plus? Because these guys shouldn't be out there. They should be resting their ankles and knees, right? They shouldn't be trying to get that triple double or that 30 point or that 40 point. They don't need to do it. Um, they are guilty of that. I will. I will grant you that.
0: Yeah, well, and it's especially strange after last year's playoffs when like Harden's workload became the built-in excuse that everyone was talking about in Houston for for the the end of that Spurs series, and his workload doesn't seem to have changed very much this year, and uh, I mean. Granted, he's well, like 27 or 28 and in the middle of his prime. So there's a chance that all of this is overblown and that last year he failed for other reasons, unrelated to fatigue. But uh, if I were them, I would be a little bit more careful about the
1: way I use him. Yeah. The well, second it's easier thing- easier now that- Look, hold on though. It's easier now that- Chris is back because when Chris was out, don't forget, they parted with a lot of their rotation to get Chris. They, they sent yeah. a lot of minutes out to get him. So when he's not even there, somebody has to step up and do it. Of course, that's going to fall on hardened shoulders. And I actually think that's going to be one of the best reasons driving his MVP candidacy, because you can look back and say when Chris was out, he played like an MVP. And when Chris came back, they shared the role, they shared the ball, they were still awesome. He still played like an MVP. It's definitely his team. It's, it's not like a you know, two alpha situation, it's clearly Harden's show. Uh, And I actually think, you know, his ability to oscillate between those roles and to welcome Chris into the fold is one of his strongest MVP arguments this season.
0: Yeah. Well, the second thing, speaking of Harden's MVP season thus far and his numbers and his usage, I will admit that for the sake of the pod and, and to sort of to try and uh heal things after i reopened the mvp argument with my column last week i tried to trade for james harden in my fantasy basketball league and in part because i knew that would make me more invested in his success it would bring us closer together but the guy who had harden was like are you kidding me his numbers are so much better than anyone else in the league There's no way I'm trading him. And I I had offered Kyrie and Clay for Harden and a couple other pieces. And the guy was just like, no, get out of here. (laughs) I can't do this. So there's no question that statistically he's in a class of his own uh, so far. And I can continue kind of ignoring him now that I haven't traded for him. Um, well, what
1: I look forward to again here is in two weeks of you watching Harden, you're going to trade your entire team for Harden. It's going to be great. <laughs> no, and so then Team Sharp is going to be just totally built right around him. It's going to be fantastic. You're going to live up to your ideal fantasy Daryl Morey lifestyle. It's going to be awesome.
0: Let me be clear. I was not prepared for your 10-point plan to, to force me to like the Rockets, but it didn't work. So I'm not I'm not here to refute any of your points, but I'm not uh, going to we'll suddenly see. go out and start loving the Rockets. My one big question though, and this is tricky because like it seems like sort of a s- dumb question that would pop up on like a studio show in December, but I think it's more relevant than we realize. Like are the Rockets now that Steph is is out? Are the Rockets the best team in the NBA for this stretch?
1: Well, I think I just made my ten-minute argument. Uh, To me, I put them in that spot. I mean, I will always just kind of have an asterisk for Golden State and say, "Look, I mean, that's you know, that's reserved for you." Yeah. There's no question they've been easily the second-best team in the West, and to me, they've been as consistent as anybody in the East too, in terms of consistent excellence. And when you look at not having Chris for that long of a stretch and how well they played, uh, and then also they're just utter dominance since he's been back. It's just been blowout after blowout against basically everyone they've played since Chris is back in the lineup. To me I put them in that number two spot. Um so you, know. you wouldn't you? put
0: them above the Warriors without Steph?
1: Well like I said, I just treat the Warriors different. Look, it's their league. You know, I don't think we need to be trying to like make fake debates. Oh no, I Warriors, Golden State's in the, trouble because well, Steph's out for two weeks like, oh my God, let's just pack him in ice. We'll the see reason him in two thousand and eighteen. They're gonna be the, great.
0: There's a chance that like one of the Warriors gets hurt in the playoffs. And if you take one of, one of Durant or Curry off the floor, suddenly the matchup with Houston starts to look a little bit more even now. Granted, I don't know if Chris Paul is going to be healthy in the playoffs. Like if you go back the last four or five years, he's been hurt more often than not by the end of the season and battling through like any number of nagging injuries. And that's one of the reasons Houston is a better situation for him. Cause he's, there's less strain on his body over the next few months but um, it's just one thing to keep in mind. Like, I'll be interested to watch over the next month or so how Houston compares to Golden State. There's obviously no See. real answer here, but like, this is why Maury went for it with the Chris Paul deal. It's like suddenly, if, if, if things happen in Golden State and a couple things go wrong, then there is actually a real window
1: for Houston. See, Andrew, this is why you're my guy. You know, this is why I've dubbed you the Grease Pig, because in the span of two minutes, you went from, look, I- I'm not even going to be watching the Rockets, no matter what you said, to Houston is beating Golden State in the playoffs. Mark it down. I heard, you, <laughs> I heard that transformation. I love you're it. You're awful. All right, good. Um, I'm
0: I'm glad that you're happy. And I also want to say, we're recording this on a Thursday afternoon. I hope that the Rockets go out and lose to the Jazz tonight. And, and then the Rockets fans, you can all blame Ben Golliver at him on Twitter. He hey. is the one who has jinxed the season. Maybe Harden will get hurt. Who knows? Um, but speaking what are you of you Utah. Say? You're trying to root injury
1: for people right now? You're too, speaking, far, too far. Speaking of
0: Utah, I am far more excited to talk about our next topic Toby says, can you guys just talk about Donovan Mitchell for 10 minutes? And this email was sent during the second half of the Jazz comeback win over the Pelicans, which was about a week ago. It was a game where Donovan Mitchell had 40 points. Um, I And I was watching it because I've... I've hit the point in the Wizards season where I now watch every Pelicans game and root against them so that a a boogie (laughs) trade becomes more realistic. So I was all in on the jazz bandwagon that night, and Donovan Mitchell was incredible. So let me ask you, what have you seen from him so far?
1: Well, I actually want to flip this back on you for one second, because we had another question from Sam who says, is Donovan Mitchell basically Gilbert Arena's 2.0? I mean, you're the Gilbert guy. I think we would consider you one of the world's foremost leading experts on Gilbert Mm -hmm. Arenas, Prime Gilbert. I mean, do you see that? I mean, is that part of the reason why you like Donovan? Um, uh, Or do you reject the comparison?
0: It's interesting because I was actually, I went on Utah Radio earlier this week, uh, which is a byproduct of my earlier jazz love, which is a byproduct of you slowly bringing me over to your side of, of the street. And uh, and they asked me, they, they kind of put me on the spot and were like, who in the NBA would you compare Donovan Mitchell to? And it, it was tough. I didn't, my mind kind of shut down and I didn't really have an answer. I don't like the Gilbert comparison just because Gilbert was a lot more fluid than Donovan Mitchell is. Um, and he was just sort of more of a natural scorer, Like if if I were to compare anyone to Gilbert, it would actually probably be Harden, um, because just because of the ability to score at all three levels and like the strength. Donovan Mitchell. I thought about it after my my Salt Lake City radio appearance, and the one guy. It's it's a strange comparison, but the one guy he reminds me of is um, Dion Waiters, and that's not anything that jazz fans want to hear. But I think there are some similarities, and basically, if you, if you give Deion Waiters a more dependable jump shot and make him a better defender, Deion Waiters is like an all-star level player, and I think that's what Donovan Mitchell could be. He just stylistically, like they move pretty similarly.
1: Yeah, if you take away all the bad things about Dion Waiters, one day he'll be as good as Donovan Mitchell. Totally. Um,
0: <laughs> no, but yeah. that, that, that's the thing. Like, it's hard to compare him to some of the other guards who are who are a little bit more. They have like a little bit more creativity to their game. Like Donovan Mitchell is still he's he's awesome. I mean, this is not a shot at him, but he's kind of like a straight line guy. He's either taking threes or going straight to the hoop, and he's a little bit mechanical.
1: Yeah, it seemed like to start the season, maybe he was still getting up to NBA speed like you would expect for a rookie. And recently, he's really kind of found his groove uh, much more. Obviously, the huge explosion that he had, you know, 40 plus points. I don't know if you saw the postgame interview. I thought it was great. I mean, he clearly shocked himself. I love when the guys are so good, so young that they can't believe it. And they have like no idea what to say to the postgame commentator. It's just hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, His length definitely stands out. But one thing I wanted to ask you about in terms of Mitchell kind of coming on here over the last couple of weeks is something that we talked about with the Jazz before the season in terms of like the Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert pairing, because mm-hmm. Gobert goes out, so it forces them to change styles, basically, right? Like going ultra big at any point really wasn't an option. And all For of a sure. sudden, all this space opens up. And all of a sudden, a player like Donovan Mitchell, who's not even you know a top five pick last year, looks like an absolute stud because he has more room to work. Um, you know, is he going to be able to sustain at that same level with Gobert back? Does Utah have to really contemplate their stylistic identity here going forward in terms of what's the best way for them to play? It's fascinating. And again, it goes back to like, you know, do you want to have both Gobert and Favors playing big, uh, big role, big minutes? uh, Or do you try to move off of Favors? Uh, You know, I'm not sure I know the answer to that question. But it really played out here kind of by accident, just because Gobert was injured. And it's great that he's sort of the beneficiary of that, that he was there to step up and, and take that slack because they needed it. And in past seasons, they haven't necessarily had people to do that. Yeah. So I think Mitchell gets a lot of credit for stabilizing their season. But kind of ironically, in a twist, he's now almost created a an identity, I wouldn't call it a crisis, but uh, an identity no. moment of reckoning for them.
0: I also wouldn't say that he's created it. I think they they had this identity crisis regardless. Like it, whether whether Gobert went down, and uh, like it's not Donovan Mitchell that's the problem. But you just can't necessarily oh. play Gobert and favors together.
1: And no, no, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying if he never breaks out, it's so much easier to just keep your, talking yourself into. That's we'll true. Be they would have been quietly with mediocre
0: regardless.
1: Um, Bingo! And now it's like, hey, now we have a better tomorrow. Like, what is this? You know, where'd this guy come from?
0: Yeah, and I think you're right to highlight that because even if you go back to that Pelicans game, the one thing that was crazy to me is Donovan Mitchell was just getting to the rim basically whenever he wanted. And that is a byproduct of shitty Pelicans defense. And it's a byproduct of Donovan Mitchell's explosiveness but it's also spacing. And, uh, and that's one thing Open that, paint. like, the, Quint Snyder is going to have to figure that out. And, and I think everyone in Utah knew that they were going to have to figure that out in October. And now it's become clearer than ever that they sort of need to tweak things. And Derek Favors deserves credit. He's, he's a longtime Golliver All-Star. And he was awesome in the, in the three or four weeks that Gobert missed. And uh, he started to get his legs back. and really sort of came into his own over the last month. But like, I don't think he should be anything more than your like backup center at this point, um, particularly given some of the other talent that they have on the perimeter. So that's number
1: yeah, one. And he just, to me, he seems overqualified for that role. That's why I'm saying like, hey, trade. I mean, when we get to February, this should be a name we kind of circle because... Uh, he should want more from his career than that, in my eyes. You know, and I think there's a team that could use him in a greater role than that, don't you think?
0: That's true, but I just don't know how much you're going to get back for favors. Like, I think keeping a really good, overqualified backup is more valuable than trading him for, like, a second-round pick. Like, I I don't know if someone's going to even give up a first for half a season of Derek Favors at this point.
1: Yeah, I guess we'll see. That was kind of a boring take, but very logical. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um,
0: The the question that I had regarding Donovan Mitchell is, has there ever been a bigger win for internet draft nerds? Because I don't (laughs) remember anyone. Like, every year, draft nerds fall in love with various prospects. Donovan Mitchell was squarely in that zone for me this year. And, like, like, I was out in L.A. in May, and I went over to see my friend Michael Levin, uh, and we caught up. He, he's the host of Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, the Sixers podcast, and we spent a long time catching up about life, family, friends, whatever. But then they, we talked for a solid 20 minutes about how much we loved Donovan Mitchell, and this was, like, three weeks before the draft. And I think that happened among a lot of us. A lot of us blogger, writer, nerds. Uh, But the rest of the league didn't really catch on. Like, I I also talked to some NBA players uh, during that trip, and those guys absolutely loved Josh Jackson. And if you go, like, the old school set among the NBA and players themselves, like, they all loved Josh Jackson and thought he was going to contribute immediately, loved his motor, and nobody was ever really talking about Donovan Mitchell besides like nba twitter and we've all been proven so fucking right on donovan mitchell and it's it's kind of funny because even the people who believed in him did not think that he was going to be this but he is just like he's awesome and he sort of changes utah's whole future
1: i mean you're shouting plugs out left and right patting yourself on the back i love it let me (laughs) also taking shots at josh jackson on the way that's fine. Let me just only underscore that very quickly by saying this is why we go to Summer League. I mean, you know, you see a guy like this break out at that level, and you think, oh, something big could happen here for him early in his career. I mean, it validates like nine years of my life spending one month well, a year in the in the pit desert of Las Vegas. I don't know, though, because like I've seen a lot of guys break out at Summer League who never
0: really translate to the NBA. So even Summer League, I was like, all right, let's let's slow down. He's not going to drop 40 a game because he, he did in, in Summer League. I think he dropped 40 on the Grizzlies. And everyone was like, oh, my God, this is a superstar. And I, that almost made me more skeptical of what he was going to be in the NBA. But it turns out that that was pretty, pretty accurate. Like, he is, he's, uh, looks like he's on an all-star track. And speaking of which, I have one more question for you regarding Donovan Mitchell. This is so much better than talking about the Rockets. Uh, Henry uh, says, given everything we know now, If offered the chance, do you think the Sixers would swap Markel Foltz for Donovan Mitchell? Wouldn't he both be a safer bet for being awesome the next 10 years than Foltz would be? And wouldn't he be a better fit next to Simmons and Embiid? More of a traditional two-guard in style, but
1: with the size of a modern point. What do you think? I think the idea makes a lot more sense in theory than in practice. I mean, if you're the Sixers, you have to go down with the Fultz ship. I mean, whatever happens Uh, with his shoulder or his brain, like at this point, like that's your guy. I mean, when you make that kind of a home run swing type of trade to land a Fultz, I mean, you have to ride that one all the way out. Uh, In terms of like, if they could go back to use uh, the number one pick on him, I mean, I guess maybe in an ideal world in this scenario, they just wouldn't have traded up. And they would have just taken Mitchell at three. I mean, would you have preferred that to what they did? I think when you look at the asset they had to part with uh, in that trade with Boston, you know, the future pick, that would look better to me personally. Like, I'd rather have Mitchell in next year's pick than oh, no question. Fultz.
0: Yeah, I, I think anybody who says that the Sixers wouldn't go back and undo it and just take Donovan Mitchell is lying to themselves. I think you're right that now we've come far enough that like the Sixers are pot committed on Markel Fultz. But yep. the the telling the telling answer to that question is that Utah would not do it. Utah, I don't think, would trade Donovan Mitchell for Markel Fultz straight up, um, which says a lot about how far he's come through the first couple months. All right, let's move on. We got to talk about the Wizards quickly. But first... Today's show is brought to you by Movement Watches. Movement Watches was founded on the belief that style shouldn't break the bank. The watchmaker's goal is to change the way consumers think about fashion by offering high-quality, minimalist products at revolutionary prices. With over 1 million watches sold to customers in 160 countries around the world, Movement Watches has solidified itself as the world's fastest-growing watch company.
1: Ben, give me some movement takes. If there's one thing I love, value. If there's one thing I hate, it's watch middlemen messing with my value. And that's why Movement Watches is so great. They cut out all the watch middlemen. So all you get is the best possible value uh, for your dollar when it comes to watches. We're talking $95 price point. That's a great you know price point for a holiday gift. It's great for yourself, uh, a loved one, a family member, whoever it might be that watch will look like a $400, $500, $600 watch. That's the level of quality that Movement Watches brings to the game.
0: And look, this is an an opportunity to support the podcast by also getting a really nice gift for a brother, a loved one, a parent. The the watches are classy, and you can get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash floor. The watch has a really clean design, and it makes a great fashion statement. Now is the time to step up your watch game. Go to MVMT.com slash floor and join the movement. Join the movement. (laughs) All right, let's get back into it. So, Nikos says, If the Suns should trade everyone and give refunds after losing by 40-plus to the Blazers... Should the Wizards just relocate after losing by 47 to a Jazz team without its best player? Thank you for asking, Nikos. Uh, Just to clarify, though, I don't think that we were advocating for mass trades and refunds just because of the Suns' 40-plus loss to the Blazers. I think that was sort of like... Uh, that was a function of years of dysfunction in Phoenix, and so Ben Ben just had to get some things off his chest regarding Ryan McDonough <laughs> and Robert Sarver. But yeah, but the that was a Wizards-
1: tipping point.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Wizards' fifty-point loss was pretty awful. I don't totally want to dive into f- like a, a full Wizards segment right now. I'm going to try to stick to my no Wizards before Christmas, but. I will say, the 50-point game from Beal the following night made the 50-point loss to Utah 100% worth it. So I don't really
1: care. Beal was pretty spectacular in that game. I mean, I think we can let you cheat here a little bit on your Wizards promise. You can gush a little. I mean, I know Beal's your guy. I mean, that was a pretty nice night.
0: It was great, man. I mean, like he was outplaying Lillard and McCollum. and, uh, And like I think people who've watched the Wizards closely have seen this in Beal for about the past year and they sort of look at him in that Lillard McCollum tier uh more so Lillard than McCollum and so it's nice to see like the rest of the NBA kind of catch on a little bit and uh get reminded by ju- about just how good he is so I don't want to overdo it I think I think there were some Wizards fans who were really like like the Wizards Poured a bunch of uh, Gatorade on Beal in the locker room, and like I want, I kind of want to act like we've been there before, and, and a fifty-point game is not that big a deal. But it was a nice reminder that, like, while this team is probably going to screw around for like most of the six months of the regular season, they still have elite talent, that and that is going to be a factor come playoff time.
1: Oh, there's no question. I mean, that's a big win. It keeps them, you know, in the eighth seed, not tied with the Knicks. <laughs> <so> that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, man, you've gotten in a,
0: a, a fair share of shots on this podcast so far.
1: Yeah. Sorry, man. Look, we haven't talked in a couple of days. Uh, like I said, <laughs> I prepare my dissing material. Hey, we got a question from Atticus and he's basically saying, if you look at the East block from like the ninth through 14th seats compared to the West, as it stands right now, the, the East block has better records. I mean, what do you make of that? I um,
0: I love it. As a child of the Eastern Conference, I'm I'm loving what's happening so far this year. I've spent a lifetime listening to cultural elites like Ben Galver tell me that my basketball <laughs> doesn't matter and uh and yeah, look, the East is is better right now. I do think that we should add a disclaimer that like all the bottom of the West, almost every team in that tier is hurt. Um, I mean, and you're seeing like teams like the nuggets who were supposed to be much better. They've had Millsap go down. They now have Jokic down, um, the Clippers, the Clippers were never going to be great, but they weren't going to be this bad until like half their team was injured. And so it's, it's tough to really ding the West too much because a lot of those guys have just had really bad luck.
1: Yeah. I mean, Grizzlies Clippers, both, you know, kind of falling to pieces here. Um, I think that's a huge factor. You, you hit the nail on the head in terms of the health. I think, kind of ironically, the weakness towards the bottom of the West is actually kind of great for the playoffs. You know, the, the show, as I'm going to continue calling it, because if we get a situation where New Orleans and Minnesota are both able to definitely stay in, and I think they both look pretty steady to me. I mean, New Orleans, like every, anything, could fall apart at any given moment like you said earlier yeah Um, but if we can get both those teams in as new blood for the the western conference playoffs i'd love that i think it would make it so much more interesting uh lots of star power in that first round maybe they're going to go out quickly but i think it'd be well deserved for fan bases that have been waiting for it and if we do have to lose teams like the clippers and grizzlies who have sort of been mainstays i mean those are two pretty good teams to to take their place
0: it's really frustrating as someone who's been rooting against the pelicans they have been a lot more stable than expected. Um, guys like Etwan Moore have been really solid for them. Darius Miller is helping off the bench uh, to give them some shooting. And it's funny because like Boogie and Anthony Davis are so <laughs> amazing that just putting capable NBA players around them is a, is a huge upgrade over what New Orleans has been working with over the past like three years. And so yeah, like, I, I feel you. Rondo's not great, but Rondo is a, is a average NBA player at this point in his career. And that makes a big difference.
1: No, you're, you're dead on. I was just chuckling when you're listing off the names of their role players. Cause it's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, you know, Boogie still had 40 and 20, you know, right. the other night. I mean, I'm not like, asking like, people to get excited about
0: Etuan Moore and Darius Miller, but it's, it's like, it weaponizes Boogie
1: uh, bingo. And I do think, you know, the, the other thing that we haven't mentioned here, we have a fascinating race for the eighth seed in the West. There's going to be a whole lot. I mean, that could not be decided until the final night of the season. I know it's real early to make that prediction, but when you've got Oklahoma city, I mean, they're not going to give up. I think if new Orleans continues as it is, they're not going to give up. And so unless some truly disastrous injury hits one of these teams, that's kind of been getting by, uh, you know, teams like Utah and Denver have done a nice job getting by, Uh, that could be a race that goes the distance and you know that's sort of what you want even if it's not like 10 or 11 teams deep like it's been in past years
0: the one team that has stuck out to me and granted like all these teams are going to go through hot two or three week stretches and cold two or three week stretches, and the Blazers right now are in the middle of a cold stretch. Um, they've lost <laughs> a couple winnable games. <laughs> they Beal dropped fifty on them the other night. Uh, but I've watched a couple Blazers games in the past couple weeks, and look, man, like it's it's just kind of shocking how thin that roster is beyond McCollum and Lillard. Like it. Doesn't seem possible that Portland could be in a spot where they are counting on Pat Connaughton as a starter. And I like Pat Connaughton; he was a, he was a sleeper coming into the draft a few years ago. But like they, it's just amazing how how bad that roster is outside
1: of those that top two. Yeah, I mean, you like Pat Connaughton as a tenth guy, not a fourth exactly, guy. I mean, exactly, I, I mean, not a they're starter. Also, they're also dealing sort of like the inverse of the the issue we talked about earlier with Utah is when you have Nurkic on the court, that's a body in the paint, right? So life gets more difficult for CJ and Dame. Uh, they both played pretty well offensively, but their team offense has not been uh, as good as expected. And so you can definitely point to a lot of weak links uh, you know, throughout their rotation. Uh, Aminu's absence certainly hurts as well. Uh, and he's back now, but uh, Nurkic's presence kind of hangs over all of this too because he's a big guy who's in the paint, who's not super efficient, uh, yeah. in his low post one-on-one stuff. And that has kind of repercussive effects to the, the whole team. Hey, one other thing about this Western Conference playoff race, and if there's any Mavericks fans who are still alive, you know, I'm going to just apologize to them before I say this. Th- the worst thing to have in, in the way this Western Conference is shaping up right now is a good coach who just refuses to tang because mm-hmm. Dallas could easily finish in the 10th seed. You know, right now they're dead last, but I mean, the distance between like 10 and 15 in the Western Conference is only a couple of games. Like if they keep just kind of chugging along in Rick Carlisle style, you know, you get a few super dramatic, not actually that dramatic Harrison Barnes (laughs) game winners down the stretch. You go from having potentially a top two or three pick all the way up, you know, maybe your your tenth. I mean, where the franchise is right now, they should be racing to the bottom, and I get the sense that they're probably going to be passing a lot of these teams that are currently above them uh, once the you know the the tank game starts to be played, you know, down in February and March. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a great point. It's it's a real disadvantage in the tanking race to have a team that actually gives a shit and plays hard every game and has like more than two or three guys who are professional and know how to play basketball because at the bottom of the league, the the wheels really fall off. Like that's that's where the Suns are positioned for greatness is, is in tanking over the final two or three months. That's when you just turn Marquise Chris loose, let him play 35 minutes a game and you're set. Whereas the Mavs at like, Guys like Devin Harris, Seth Curry will come back, uh, like Harrison Barnes. Unfortunately, they're a little too competent to really tank with the best of them. But uh, and and you're right that Carlisle is a huge issue there. We're actually going to come back to Carlisle because I want to talk a little bit more about him. But really quickly, one of our favorite topics we haven't talked for a week or so: Jason Kidd in Milwaukee. Uh, Barack, one of our one of our favorite listeners, says. I have a proposal for the Giannis Inc. Board of Directors. It's time to replace Jason Kidd with David Fisdale as CEO. Fisdale would be the perfect coach for Giannis. If you look at how the Bucks are constructed, they're pretty similar to the LeBron Heat teams. Blitzing defense, interchangeable forwards, running the offense out of the post with an athletic freak of a playmaker. With respect to style, Giannis is the closest to LeBron. The Bucks could use Bledsoe like the Heat used Wade. Middleton would be like a rich man Shane Battier. If you squint really hard and look at Thon Maker, you might see Chris Bosh. Uh, you would have to squint really, really hard at Thon Maker to see Chris Bosh. But with his pedigree... I'll give pedigree, you a microscope. You're, yeah. you're not going to see Chris Bosh. <laughs> it's not enough. Uh but anyway, so what do you think about Fisdale? Like, would, would that make sense for the Bucks? And, and where are you at with the Jason Kidd experience right now?
1: Well, I think before we entertain the Fisdale idea, we got to set the record straight. You know, we mentioned how Giannis's next step to greatness was going to be getting a coach fired. And shortly after that, Milwaukee executes the Eric Bledsoe trade. Coincidence or not, you tell me. But I also think when you go back in NBA history, one guy who we left off the list of superstars who have sort of... Uh, affected coaching changes uh, was Jason Kidd himself. I mean, that was a big thing in the early 2000s with those New Jersey Nets teams when Byron Scott was out of there. I mean, Kidd really took the blame for that. So I think he has a very well-tuned spider senses when it comes to this kind of stuff. And I think when they started underperforming a little bit, if you're Jason Kidd, you realize there's gonna be some backlash towards you. So you go out and you push for that trade for an Eric Bledsoe. And the next thing I read this week all of a sudden, DeAndre Jordan, uh, who's been rumored as a Milwaukee trade target, signs with Jeff Schwartz, who's been, you know, a long time uh, connected with Jason Kidd in terms of, you know, various uh, personnel moves and, and rumors of that nature. So now you wonder: Is Milwaukee going to go all in and, and chase DeAndre Jordan uh, with a little help? Uh, I think that's a reasonable. Uh, scenario I could see playing out at this point. And to be clear, last week, I just brushed off Milwaukee entirely because of the cold weather factor. I mean, if you bring in a personality with that level of history with the Jason Kidd, uh, with this agent, you know, Jeff Schwartz, to me, that's kind of a game changer. I mean, that could really, uh, you know, soften how DeAndre might look at Milwaukee, both as a short-term stop to kind of compete this season, but also as a potential place to really take a nice big cash out. So uh, to me, I think, before this Fizdale stuff can even get started, we have to give Jason Kidd some credit here, circling the wagons big time uh, <laughs> and keep, keeping himself on pretty solid ground. Uh, He's I pulling to admit, out all I, the stops,
0: I'm, man. I'm impressed. Yeah. I, to be clear, I believe that Jeff Schwartz was Jason Kidd's agent and may still be. I, I think that there's probably some distance now or some sort of Chinese wall, uh, but... Yes. Jeff Schwartz has been considered the shadow GM of the Bucks for a long time. And the second I heard, I heard that DeAndre Jordan signed with an agent. I didn't realize it was Jeff Schwartz until about two days ago. And now DeAndre Jordan to the Bucks seems kind of inevitable, uh, in part because it would also be like a move that is theoretically defensible, but also shows that the team doesn't totally understand how to use Giannis and so, and that's like kind of what they've been doing for the last three or four years. So it seems like it would be consistent with everything else that's happened in Milwaukee. Fisdale, to answer the the specific question here, I think Fisdale would make sense in Milwaukee. Um, I think he, he like it's hard to know exactly what we have with Fisdale because the the Memphis roster was so limited limited, but uh, the bar is low coming in after Jason Kidd right now. Do you want to can you explain his fouling strategy at the end of that Pistons game on Wednesday night?
1: I think it's beyond explanation. But essentially they were up four in the closing seconds and Detroit was just refusing to give up like no matter what. Like they were just trying to get quick twos as fast as possible and then uh you know foul as fast as possible just over and over and over again. And I think he just kind of got bored. So he decided basically to foul Detroit while they were up four so essentially putting Reggie Jackson stopping the clock and then putting Reggie Jackson on the free throw line to shoot two free throws which would cut it to a one possession game so now you're potentially inbounding the pass if it gets stolen they shoot a three-pointer you lose a game that you were up by four with 10 (laughs) seconds left right so it really defies all logic the funniest part about it though is because of course Reggie Jackson misses the free throw so the strategy worked and Jason Kidd like in the post game comments was like feeling very vindicated that his unorthodox approach that like totally defies the math uh totally panned out for him to kind of defend him I sort of get where he's going because they do have some really good free throw shooters on that Milwaukee team but still it's crazy
0: yeah yeah I I just I read his explanation of it and my takeaway from all of this is that like I wasn't entirely sure that Jason Kidd was a, a bad coach and the wrong coach for this Bucks team back in October when we first started talking about this. But, like, he's trending more and more toward Randy Whitman territory. And Whitman is, like, probably the worst coach I've ever seen in the NBA, certainly the worst coach I've ever <laughs> wow. covered in my time. and uh, And it's just, like, there are a couple traits that he has in common with Jason Kidd where, like, Whitman was incredibly stubborn and would not listen to anyone who questioned his rotations and would just continue to do things that weren't really working and I think some of that has happened in Milwaukee over the past year or two, um, particularly with the defensive schemes and he was incredibly dismissive to critics this is Whitman but I'm sort of sensing some of that from kid Whitman would always answer specific questions with just sort of vague, Cliche filled answers, and uh, it's that's certainly happening with Kid. And most importantly, there would be like a handful of things that just defied all logic with Randy Whitman, and that free throw strategy defied any conventional logic. And it's like, granted, it worked. Shout out to Root Canal Reggie, but like, it just seems like this thing things are headed in the wrong direction. And if Kid forces a DeAndre Jordan trade, and keeps himself in milwaukee for another few years like i i don't know it's one of those things i go back to the whitman thing like i wasn't a diehard fan um of the Wizards. i mean i i was but i covered a bunch of different sports but like i can't imagine living through the randy whitman era now with my level of investment in basketball and i think that's sort of what bucks fans are going through in milwaukee with jason kidd
1: Well, here's the thing. You know how the Thunder fans like really talk themselves to all the splashy moves this summer. Like, let's just get Russ some help and see what happens. I am almost in that corner now when it comes to Giannis Inc. of like, let's just give him as many talented teammates as possible. Who cares about the future? Whatever. Let's just do it. So I have now like kind of come around on the DeAndre Jordan idea. It would be just crazy. I mean, it would really shake up the conference. There's no question. And they'd be pretty good this year. And this is another thing from that late game scenario, and people are always emailing us how we kind of contrast each other. And, you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, you and I are personalities. Sure. What I love about the contrasting personalities with the Bucks right now is Eric Bledsoe and Malcolm Brogdon, like late in that game. You know, that's a pretty nice win at home. They're, they're uh, playing against, you know, a pretty highly ranked team in the conference and, you know, sort of a regional rivalry, whatever you know, Eric Bledsoe is dancing all over the court, like trying to get, you know, get the crowd involved. At one point, he like two-hand shoves Malcolm Brogdon in celebration. And Brogdon just keeps walking. I mean, they call him the president because he's so poised. I mean, he just keeps walking as if he had not been touched, even though uh, Bledsoe shoved him basically as hard as possible. I just love the like fire and nice contrast between those two guys. It's one more reason to watch Milwaukee in addition to Giannis.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're definitely a lot more fun. Like I watched the the win over the Blazers, um last week and like Bledsoe was everywhere Chris Middleton's been his shooting has sort of come around after a slow start to the season like when it clicks with Milwaukee they are as fun as any team in the league um but there are still these frustrating moments with Kid where you're like I don't know how this is going to go wrong but I feel like this isn't going to end well um although just to be clear, I don't think we should put him in like full Randy Whitman category yet. Um, so because Randy Whitman remains in a, in a class of his own for me. But uh, let's move on. Let's do one more question before the podium here. This is from Marcos. He says, first of all, I want to thank you guys for making my stuck in traffic moments so much better. I'm Cuban, but I live in Mexico City and the traffic here is something that neither you or nor tree hugger ben would ever enjoy i love tree hugger ben let's stick with that um having said that i do have one question for you guys which team would you prefer luka Doncic to play for dallas or chicago and then he goes on to say he doesn't want him in phoenix he doesn't want him in sacramento and a couple other lottery situations
1: uh do you have any take on luka Doncic so far Well, first of all, with Mexico City traffic, it's insanely bad. I mean, probably the worst I've ever seen in my life. I remember taking an overnight bus into Mexico City. So this is like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. And still, there was just insane traffic for miles. Uh, Beautiful city. Check out the downtown if you ever get the chance. Uh, But, you know, do your homework before you go. Uh, You know, make sure you're wearing like a money belt, fanny pack style. You know, just be careful. Watch your back. Uh, In terms of Luka Doncic, I think we have to give it him to the team that's really willing to sacrifice and tank hard for him. And as I mentioned earlier, I don't think Dallas is going to be in that conversation. You know, So I think by default, I think Chicago's got the, all the makings of, of a tank classic here. I mean, they're terrible. They're horrible. Coach, God knows what he's trying to do. And front office, we've been over it time and time again. Uh, they're They're a mess. So I think yeah. from that standpoint, given those choices, I go Bulls
0: there seems like it seems like there should be more hype around Doncic. Uh, I mean, cause he's basically like Ben Simmons of the ACB and, uh, he, he plays for real Madrid and he is like tearing through European basketball right now, which is better than college. I mean, it's not in the NBA, but he's like 18 years old, averaging 20 points a game. And, and he's now, his shooting has gotten better this year. Like, that guy is going to be fun. Um, I don't want him in Dallas. I, I know you said that they're probably not going to be in position to get him, but I, like Rick Carlisle, his teams just annoy me, and the way he handles rookies. I, granted, like he's he's let Dennis Smith sort of do whatever he wants this year, but like I'm just tired of watching Rick Carlisle play like shitty journeyman players thirty minutes a game, and uh, like. The Mavs are just frustrating, but I also don't want him in Chicago because Chicago seems like a a less interesting version of the Knicks. Like they just I feel like we're, we're going to end up being frustrated by that front office for the next 10 years. So to me, my dream scenario would be for the Miami Heat to take Luka Doncic. And they get there by trading Hassan Whiteside and Justice Winslow to the Bulls for the number one pick.
1: Wow. Well, you really put all of your preparation into that one question. <laughs> I really I appreciate that. That's good. You blew no, my mind. You hey, know what? Here's you know what I'd say about... Why is that?
0: Because I talked to... so. Luka Doncic is Slovenian, and I my first experience with Doncic was watching him in EuroBasket over the summer, and he was incredible. And his teammate in that was uh, Goran Dragic, and so I talked to Dragic when he was in uh, he, when he was in DC a couple weeks ago. I talked to him about Doncic a little bit, and so goron was glowing and i just think it would be fun to sort of have those two reunited in miami and i'm also sick of watching Whiteside on the heat i'm sick of the bulls so maybe we just sort of like put those two together and sort of excommunicate them from the league or at least from the league that i follow
1: yeah one thing on the dallas side um Uh Do you want to put him in as the guy who takes over from Dirk? Right, that's an awful lot of pressure, and you know what the media would do is like, oh, one European savior. Here's the next European savior. You know, he's going to be the guy who carries the franchise for twenty years. That's a lot to ask for a teenager. At the same time, kind of the buzz I've been hearing is like he seems like he's ready to be that guy. I mean, you know, long term franchise type player. I don't know if you remember during that. Uh, the big Marvin Bagley breakout, I think it was at that tournament up in Portland uh, over Thanksgiving or around that time where everyone was just going nuts on the internet for Bagley. I was at a game, uh, an NBA game sitting next to a talent evaluator, and he's like, all those guys can take Bagley. I'll take Luca, no doubt about it, number one. So even in the midst of all this fur about another really highly ranked prospect, there are some diehard Lucas out there uh, who think he's the best player in this class. Uh, that being said, I don't know, it's kind of a process of elimination. I mean, where else where else besides your trade scenario would you say would be the best fit for him? I mean, putting
0: him in Phoenix would be a lot of fun, uh throwing him with uh. <laughs> with Devin Booker, but it's also <laughs> like, yeah, you don't want to do that to Luka Doncic. Uh the Celtics would be really cool too. And they might be in that mix, particularly if teams oh fall God. in love with Bagley and Aiton. But I think that if the Celtics land in the top three, it's hard to imagine they use that pick without taking a center. Like I, I think they, they need a successor to Al Horford and Mo Bamba looks awesome. DeAndre Aiton looks pretty good. Um and like it just it seems like that's the direction they'll go. But putting Doncic in a stable situation with Brad Stevens there to sort of shepherd him along
1: would be pretty fantastic as well. Okay, we got to go to the podium now officially (laughs) because this is getting too scary. Like these scenarios with the Celtics just loading up even further on rookie contract guys who are going to be ready to be instant impact makers. uh, It's too much for us to take.
0: And just to clarify, I, I think my real problem with the Mavericks is strictly rick carlisle annoying me uh because he's just so joyless about everything and i'm just kind of sick of him so it's really not an issue like luka Doncic in dallas would be fine but podium here let's move on sam says ben go watch parks and rec you'll love it it's a smart show filled with parks and politics jokes you don't have to watch season one just start with season two and andrew i can't believe you said it's not even that good just just to be clear, I like Parks and Rec. It's it's a good show. It's just of the three NBC shows, I'd say I rank them 30 Rock, The Office, Parks and Rec. Uh, Parks and Rec definitely has its moments, but it started to sort of like get a little stale as the, as the series unfolded. Um, but a lot of people, particularly on NBA Twitter, a lot of people love Parks and Rec. And that's the the main reason I don't believe you when you said you had never heard of it.
1: I mean, I had heard of it. I was just kind of messing with you. I've never seen an episode <laughs> until this morning. Okay. I watched uh, episode one of season two per Sam's suggestion. I think the first thing that caught me off guard was just how many people I think have gone on to greater fame from that show. There was a lot of people I actually recognized. Like, I don't have a very deep. I don't have a very deep uh, pop culture you know knowledge base here, as you know. So I recognized a whole bunch of different faces. Uh, so that was impressive. Um, I don't think I'm going to be watching anymore, though, but that's okay. <laughs> hey, it was fine. All you, I care about is watched, that you put in
0: the effort. I appreciate oh,
1: it. I, look, Andrew, I love homework, okay? As soon as you said homework, I was like, let's do it. Um, let me ask you, though, have you ever seen the British office? Because that's funnier than the American office.
0: You know what? I haven't. And it's one of those things where it's been recommended to me so much that I haven't watched it almost out of spite, uh, but... Th- that said, I'm, I've run out of entertaining shows to watch. So at some point, I'm sure I'll give it a, a try over the next couple months.
1: Okay, so number one, Houston Rockets. Number two, British office. You're set. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> All right, you- good. That's my homework. Uh, ben from Atlanta says, Last Friday, you dubbed Ben
0: Golliver the Jimmy Butler of NBA media, and it got me thinking which player comparisons would you give to guys like Zach Lowe, Rob Mahoney, Lee Jenkins, Woj, and other prominent NBA writers? Um, Ben, this would be a really fun game, but I feel like that we could get into a lot of trouble and it could get weirdly personal. So I'll save those answers and just say that Golliver as as Jimmy Butler really is perfect to me because – Jimmy Butler is so good, but also so exhausting that uh, it's just it's perfect for you.
1: Well, I'm not going to be a wimp. I've <laughs> got a couple of comps here for you. Okay, <laughs> uh, Lee Jenkins. To me, I think he's Steph Curry, and here's why: everyone wants to shoot the three pointer in the NBA. Everybody wants to write future profiles when it comes to writing like that's what people aspire to obviously everyone wants to have cover stories but people really want to do the profiles where you nail somebody and and you really like introduce their personality to the entire world no one's better at shooting threes than Steph there's a distinct possibility no one will be better than Steph at shooting threes and that's sort of how I view Lee in terms of uh, the profile writing. I mean, some of the stuff he does is just unbelievable. Yeah. Every once in a while, I will send him text messages about lines from his story, and he'll always have like a backstory that of things that he thought about when he was putting it together, or like what his process was. Reminds me a lot, like if you really sat with Steph and was like, "Why'd you shoot this way? Or how do you do this? Or why do you do this during your you know fifteen minute warm up routine? Or why are you hopping on one leg and blindfold and shooting from the uh, tunnel and a half court and all this. I mean, there's a method to everything that he's doing. Uh, Lee's the same way. It's not like he just stumbled into this. Uh, he has really perfected his craft. So I say Steph Curry for Lee. Um, the one major difference, though, I think, and we've talked about this, is maybe Steph doesn't have quite the level of respect from his peers that he deserves around the league. I think that's the opposite for Lee. I think everybody sees Lee that way. So that would be the one glaring difference between the two of them. Okay. Uh, but to me, I'm kind of in that Steph hive where, like, you can have any other writer you want. I'll take Lee. Uh, you know, our, our buddies at the Light Years podcast can relate. You know, the Steph Curry tea party, as I call them. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm the Lee Jenkins tea party. Okay, and, nice. And the other one I want to give you is Rob. And I just want to say, you know, what stands out to me about Rob is the thoughtfulness. Uh, he's got such a big heart. He's such a nice guy. He's such, you know, team player is like a simplistic way of saying it, but that's his mentality. He wants what's best for the group. Yeah. The two guys that jumped out initially for me were Steve Nash and Manu Ginobili. Now Nash, he used to have the floppy hair, which kind of reminds me of Rob's floppy hair, uh, so that, that was one reason why I went that way. Remember how the Suns used to get a, you know, all this talk because of how many times they like did high fives during the course of the game to like keep their spirit up and keep everybody going. And Nash was like the high five artist. Right. Rob would be the high five artist if there was such a thing, but I'm actually going to lean towards Manu because Manu is very much the same way and he wears his heart on his sleeve just like Rob does. Yeah. And the last thing I'd say, Rob's fan base they're like those Argentinian fans that go 6000 miles to see Manu in person. Like if you've ever talked to someone who really dug into the Breakaway podcast that Rob did last year, which was just excellent, they will swear by it and say, "Oh, it's the greatest podcast I've ever seen." Just like those Argentinian fans Dude. will always say, "You know, Manu is better than Jordan." So those are my comps. The only problem with this comp though is that Rob's much taller than Manu, so it does it's a little weird like if Rob was playing basketball he'd be a 4 or 5 and Manu is clearly a 2 but besides that personality wise impact on those around them it's a perfect fit
0: it's true for people who don't know rob mahoney is like 6'5 and probably the best pickup basketball player i've played with among nba media um he's awesome and his i like the manu comparison actually because like he rob mahoney might be the most underrated nba writer in media today and uh he's also like He's, he's consistently understated, too. Um, but he is just... He's a pleasure to read anytime I, I check him out. Do you have a comparison for me, though?
1: No, that was... You were saying about how we didn't want to hurt any feelings or, like, you know, <laughs> step on any toes. That's why I left you out of this. Can I, by can the I way, request I was also a comparison? Because I thought about yeah, this. Yeah, I'll, I'll get you... A- I'll get you a comparison next week. Do you have one for yourself? Because you've had some self-esteem issues. I mean, you were comparing yourself to Omer Ashik a few episodes ago. I'm still <laughs> reeling from that, uh, I, and he's back on the court now. Every time I see him, I just shake my head and say, "Come on, Andrew, you're better than that." You know, you know who I'd like to. I see
0: myself as Jamal Crawford, getting okay. up a lot of shots, more thoughtful than people sometimes realize. Uh, but and. A lot of fun, and sometimes you can get go a little overboard. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to call myself <laughs> Steph Curry, but um, Jamal Crawford is how I view myself. I love it. All right, two more questions here. Lindsay says, I couldn't resist chiming in on last week's wildlife convo. I'm from the West, and I have a healthy appreciation for Western wildlife and how to respond to encounters, namely avoid them, and if you see a bear, get big. But I'm currently in Alabama, and this past Sunday, I went on a hike in Gulf State Park, and walking along a well-grewed path, I happened across a fucking alligator. It was less than six feet from me, and at least six feet long. I was terrified. I have no idea how to appropriately, appropriately respond to an alligator. Do you get big? Make eye contact? Avoid eye contact? Make a lot of noise? Be as quiet as possible? Freeze? I don't know. Of course, what I actually did was pause long enough to snap a photo like an idiot, and then I briskly continued on. I think that's the right play, Lindsay. I think my reaction to an alligator would probably be pretty stupid as well and assume that the alligators are slow and too slow to get me. So maybe one day I'll be eaten by an alligator, but I think you you played it fine. You're you, They're probably not looking for humans.
1: Well... First of all, Lindsay, the picture wasn't bad, but I was glad you didn't go to like portrait mode and really dig in on the settings <laughs> yeah, to like get that's the perfect true. picture cuz that's, that's probably safe. when you you would have been toast. I actually did some research on this. What they say to do, run away from the alligator, and then if you, you know, wind up in a confrontation, you're supposed to fight back, make a lot of noise, try to scare it away. Basically let it know that you're not a sitting duck. We also, you know, just in point of fact, a few episodes ago, I claimed that maybe mountain lions aren't a real thing. We had many emailers tell me that mountain lions (laughs) are in fact real. So anyone who was basing their hike patterns off of, you know, mountain lions aren't an actual uh, threat to humankind, please don't listen to me. That was some fake news from me.
0: Yeah. And actually
1: proceed with caution with with alligators. Get away as as quickly as you can. Um, hey, do you remember when I went down in that San Antonio trip, I had my religious awakening, but I also went to the home of the whooping crane and we got into a real sidebar about the whooping crane? Sure. I actually saw my first alligator in the wild down at that park. And unfortunately, that park actually got hit by one of the hurricanes like dead on. Uh, There was lots of damage, but the good news is apparently the whooping cranes are coming back uh, as normal, so we can all rest assured on that front. The alligator didn't try to approach me or attack me. Uh, It was quite large. It looked like it had been fed many, many times too many. Uh, It was, you know, hefty and and very, you know, lethargic. (laughs) Good. Well, I'm glad the
0: alligator didn't eat the whooping crane. Um, (laughs) I don't really know where to go with that digression, but I appreciate it. Uh, The last... Question here. Abdul says, recently Ben mentioned angering a listener to the point that he'd throw his iPhone against the wall and this got me thinking, what kind of phones do you guys use? If I had to guess, Andrew strikes me as an iPhone guy. Pretty traditional, not one to really go against the grain. Ben seems like a total Android user. I could imagine him pulling the stylus out of his phone to make note of advanced analytics while watching four (laughs) games on five screens simultaneously. So, what's the breakdown? Is Golliver a surprise Apple fan? I will start by saying that Golliver is the biggest Apple fan. He is first in line to buy any new Apple product. Tim Cook says jump. Ben Golliver says how high. It's the <laughs> best. Um, it is, it, he's, a, he's a closet Apple nerd, though. So, I, li- I like that this question came in so that we can share this with the masses.
1: Now, Abdul read it right. I am a surprise Apple fan. I use a PC as my preferred computer, <laughs> uh, but I have two iPhones. I got the new iPhone X and I have an iPad. I've got basically every Apple thing. Like you said, I'm I'm pretty much a hype beast. I mean, it's it's sad. I even wear the AirPods in public, Andrew. I got to admit that. I know some people just turned the podcast off once they heard that, but I do actually wear those AirPods in public. Uh, shamelessly, I have no problem doing it. Um, I I just think... In terms of ease of use, and I love obviously the camera feature. Yeah. Uh, I think they've got the best.
0: Well, and Abdul read it right with me too. I am pretty traditional and you mentioned the AirPods. I actually had a had a upgrade to the iPhone last year and went to the Apple store, bought the new iPhone 7 or whatever it was, and then got home and realized that they had changed the stupid headphones. And so now <laughs> you have to have wireless headphones. And I went I actually went and took it back and got an old iPhone because I thought that the airPods were fucking stupid. and uh, I love my I love my iPhone six, you know, no complaints. I'm just not ready. I'm gonna hold out as long as I possibly can. I'm not ready to join the wireless headphone revolution,
1: but yeah, there's um, <laughs> two types of people. There's people who hate airPods, and then there's people who actually wear airPods in public. I think it makes total sense that we cover both bases on this podcast. <laughs> That's why you should give us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Go ahead and send us emails to openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. I think we got a special guest coming up next week, Andrew, right?
0: Yeah, I'm out on Monday. You will have a special guest talking to Lee Jenkins. It should be fun. I will be back, and we'll be back to our normal schedule starting next Friday. Things are just a little hectic right now, but um, it's good to talk to you, man. I miss this.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and thanks for taking the, the bullets there in the first 15 minutes. Uh, and I look forward to, you know, live texting you all these Rockets games as they're unfolding. I can't wait until you've got yourself a fake beard for Christmas. You're going to be walking around, you know, showing oh, your wife. You know, look what I got. Stocking stuffers. We got fake beards for the whole family. You're going to be uh, part of Clutch City in no time. It's time to cut it off. I'll talk to you soon, man.
0: Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team.